thankful for the opportunity to worship. Oftentimes on Sundays, there's a lot going on and a lot of thinking to do, and it's a blessing to me when I can stop and, and enjoy the voices that are joined together and worship and then add my voice to yours and sing. Uh, we talked um, recently about not only do we sing to our God, but we sing to each other. And that's part of God's plan. We just learned that in Ephesians chapter five and the blessing that it is. And I trust that you have something to sing about. I trust that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, maybe today will be that day. Perhaps he's been orchestrating something over the past few weeks and months. Even you can see over the years what he's been doing to bring you to a point where you'll get serious about him. I'd like for us to stop and pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we would ask you to give us wisdom. We thank you that we do not have to come in a handicapped way, just with our own brains. But Father, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I have already prayed this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved with our teaching time. And I think sometimes that means what I intended to talk about might be what pricks somebody's heart. Oftentimes, something that I don't even mention might be doing a work in somebody's heart because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I would ask for that now. As you've clearly already been in our presence, we would ask that even more so over the next few moments as we open your word, that you would bless it and bless us. Help us to love you more for our time in your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna talk about a topic today that I can jump and find several illustrations for. And people learn through stories. There's no doubt about that. I know many of you enjoy the stories. There might be one or two that uh, make their way in. But I wanted to start with an older story. It's actually an article that came out on Valentine's Day. Um, It's an Associated Press article from a few years ago on Valentine's Day. It's about Rex and Teresa Legali of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And maybe you'll be interested in what they tried. This recently married couple claimed to have built their marriage on the most solid foundation, a foundation that would guarantee them success. Guaranteed was the word that they would use. What was this foundation? Well, it was a 16-page prenuptial agreement that they had developed. Now, let me expand on that. In this prenuptial agreement, they had spelled out in detail a clear understanding of everything that can go wrong in a marriage. They got it in just 16 pages. I think that's impressive itself. The rules were laid out, how often they would be intimate, which kind of gasoline they would buy, who does the laundry, who does the yard work. One rule was nothing is to be left on the floor overnight. Another was never allow the fuel gauge to get, to get below half a tank in the car. And that 16-page agreement goes on and on and on. Now, to go to another extreme, there are some individuals that think for a good marriage, all you need is love, right? And maybe you'll have some songs that will pop into your head. All we need for a good marriage is to have strong love. And if we have a strong love, then no rules are necessary at all. Just the bliss of romance, right? 
I think in Bambi they called it Twitter-pated, didn't they? Remember that? If we're just Twitter-pated all the time, then that's going to be enough to drive us. This week and next week, we're going to be going over in our text and giving, getting the instruction that God has given for a wife and the instruction that God has given for a husband and how to have success in a marriage. Now, I've been able to develop my preaching style. I have things that I enjoy doing, things that I don't enjoy doing so much, but I need to do. One thing that I have developed is we move on from one passage of the Bible on to the next, and I'm not allowed to skip just because I don't like a subject. There might be a temptation to skip a, um, maybe a subject or even at least a certain verse. I can see the temptation for some to uh, want to skip that. I recognize the lack of popularity that comes when we have a verse like, wives, submit to your husbands. So many individuals even wanting to take these out of their vows to each other because it just doesn't go along with our culture today. But I also know that God blesses a church that does not back down from these difficult issues. And you, if you're a husband or a wife today, if you might be a husband or a wife someday, you need to be very familiar with this. And if I can go ahead and just reiterate something I said last time, you are not allowed to take this sermon and say, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. If you're here today without your spouse, that's not God's plan that you go and get the CD and get it right to her or get it right to him. That's not the idea. Okay, so be, guard, the, guard against the temptation to say this sermon is for somebody else. In fact, the majority of the time when I face a counseling situation in a marriage, it's oftentimes someone that's wanted the counseling session and they've wanted it for their spouse more so than themselves. When it comes right down to it, we don't have a ton of control how much we can change somebody else, even our spouse. Now I know that we can make the road a little bit rough, possibly, and I also know that sometimes the path of, path of least resistance is just to give in. I get that too. But guard against the temptation of thinking that this sermon is for somebody else. And so if you would, just go ahead and put the receiving signal on and receive what God's word has to say. We will spend equal time talking about men and women. Uh, today we'll be talking more so about the wives and then next time we'll be talking about the women. Wait, that's not right. This time the wives, next time the husbands. And so thank you for that help there. Uh, and with that note, I recognize my own shortcomings. So would you understand the temptation to when an individual, a teacher, knows himself, knows his own uh, shortcomings in an area like this, there would be the temptation to skip it. Or maybe just to highlight what maybe I'm doing good at or what my opinion is of what I'm doing good at. We need to be very, very careful when we, when, we go, when we approach God's word. If you're taking notes, I don't have it spelled out clearly on the slides, but really I'm gonna give three sections. The first section is going to be how men have departed from God's plan and how men even would blame God's plan a verse like wives submit to your husbands and how the world that we live in would point so much at the problems that we have and even point to that as a base for the problem. We're gonna address that first. And then we're gonna look at a very practical picture 
of a husband loving his wife and a wife submitting to her husband and what that's supposed to look like. And then in the end, we're going to be talking about some specific verses that's teaching for wives. And so that's how we'll break it up. So if you've got a favorite section in that, you pay attention for when your favorite section might come. To begin, let's clear up the Bible's teaching on which gender is superior. Can we go ahead and talk about that right now? Which gender is superior? Is it the male or the female? Please don't answer out loud, all right? Please don't elbow your spouse. Not too long ago in our Bible Knowledge Hour, we gave a good amount of time to this when we were talking about when God created man and woman and he made them partners. We went into some more detail with this question, which gender is superior? And if you missed it, I'll go ahead and give you the answer. The woman is absolutely superior at being a woman. And the man is absolutely superior at being a man. And that's not a cop-out. I want to suggest to you that God's word teaches this throughout. You see, God has made us with a beautiful interdependence to depend on each other. And to be clear, Christian women must never think that their equality and freedom in Christ is different from a man's. Never let anyone tell you that. Your equality, your, your, your view in God's eyes is no different than a man's. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.11 is a wonderful passage that helps us with this, where in 1 Corinthians 11.11 it teaches that neither a man is independent from a woman nor a woman independent from the man. The idea there in 1 Corinthians is that there is a mutual dependence. The man is to lead the woman, but the woman gives birth to the man. So you see, we're dependent upon each other. And just because God gives the man a, a, a man authority in the home over a woman, it does not mean that there is inequality spiritually. It does not mean there's inequality humanly. And so the idea of inequality does not come from God. But where does it come from? It comes from fallen man. Sin came into this world, and have you noticed that everything that God has given us in the sinful world that we live in, man can take it and mess it up. Have you noticed that? Some of us are guilty of that, right? God gives us something, he lays it out clearly, and we take it, and we completely mess it up. Now, what is distinct between the two is the role there is a role that the, man, that the husband has and a role that the woman has. It's not the wisdom. It's not the spiritual capability. It's not the value of how God sees you or how this world should see you. The roles are what Paul addresses in our text. All that to bring us to our text. If you're not already there, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please? Ephesians chapter 5. If you're here and you do not have a Bible, there should be a, a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that Bible and keep it for yourself. That's our gift to you. We want everybody to make sure they have a Bible, and so you take that, and we'll just replace it. But Ephesians chapter 5 as we get going. Now, that was one section, how man messed it up. We're going to get into the very practical section of what it looks like, what it looks like for a husband to love his wife and for a wife to submit to her husband. Does anybody remember the opening illustration? How many pages were in that prenuptial agreement? It was 16, good job, 16 pages 
of rules, things that can go wrong. They try to take care of all of it. Now, God gives us two rules. Just two rules is what God put in the Bible. That should be easy enough for us to remember, right? In fact, he even made it easier than that. We have one rule for the woman. We have one rule for the man. And as we have this wonderful teaching about marriage, first of all, we come to the rule for the women. God knows that we're prone to forget, and so this shouldn't be too hard. Number one, the rule that God gives women, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. We'll read 22 through 24 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, let's stop right there. God's gonna give one rule. Why would God give this rule? It's spelled out right there. It's spelled out in other places in the scriptures as well. Why would God give this one simple, simple rule? Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, I want to submit to you that it's because God understands men. He knows men. He knows what we like. He knows where we fall short. And God gives this one rule so that men, when they're on the receiving end of this, so when a man in a Christian relationship, a Christian marriage, has his wife submitting in a beautiful way, he will work in harmony to keep the one rule that God has given him. He will want more to keep that rule of loving his wife. God gave one rule to the wife, submit to your husband. Now, God gave one rule to the husband. It's in verse 25. Look at it with me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ gave the church and gave himself up for her. Now, why would God give this command to husbands? Because God understands women. Why would he ask men to love their wives totally and supremely? Because God, who created men and women, understands men and women. God understands the needs of a woman. He understands that one of the greatest needs that a woman is going to have is to feel the security that she is loved and loved above all other women in that relationship. No one else can attract her husband's eye. She needs this security. This is how God has built her. One Bible teacher said, all marital problems stem out of disobedience to one of these two marital rules. Marriages get into trouble when these rules are broken. And there's a cycle, okay? And it's a compound cycle. Some of you are, are financial people. Some work at the bank. You know what compound interest is. I want you to see how this builds and grows when it goes either direction, either direction that God has commanded for it to go or whether there's a plan B and we figured something else out and how that will go bad and it gets worse and worse and bigger and bigger. You see, when the husband fails to show the kind of love that Christ showed to the church, 
then what happens is, is the woman begins to feel not taken care of, insecure. He is to love his wife like Christ loved the church, and when he does not do that, it is going to have a horrible effect for the woman. She will begin to think, does he really love me? He said he did. I knew when we were dating that he did, but does he really love me or does he not? And not only will she think that, but then she will respond by going into the mode where she needs to do what? She needs to protect herself. God wants the husband to protect the wife. He wants her to have security in him, incredibly in that marriage relationship. And when she does not feel that, she will begin to protect herself because she is not confident that he's going to protect her. And what if he breaks it? What if he fails? Well, I've just got to do it myself, I guess. And too many fall into this place. And when she begins to protect herself instead of letting her husband protect her like she should be, then he responds. He responds in a way that he doesn't like because now she's challenging him, challenging his position, challenging his decisions that he makes. And as she challenges his decisions, that upsets him that she's not submitting like she should. And so when he's not submitting like she should, then he responds Respond like the boss. That's how it's going to be. You might respond in a cold way or a tough way, maybe unresponsive. This is the opposite of loving. A hard response is the opposite of love that God wants us to have. And as the husband, now see, see the snowball effect here. As he becomes tough and unresponsive, what's going to happen? she becomes even more insecure. Why would he talk to me like that? Why would he treat me in that way? And when she becomes more insecure, what does she have to do? I've got to protect myself. That's his role of making sure that security is there. And when you find this happening, it grows and it grows and it grows. And both of them go worse down this path. Now, look at the other side of it because it, is all, it also compounds. And I'm not going to talk as long about this, but it's the polar opposite of that. On the other side, when a woman feels the security of love, she will more want to freely submit to her husband. And when this happens, when this beautiful picture of submission happens, then he will want to show her love and show her deference all the more. And so just a short challenge here, if you're finding yourself in a marriage with this common problem, and do you think it's common today? Oh yeah, it's common. You see, God's plan wasn't quite good enough, so I gotta figure it out for myself. I gotta figure it out. If I let him make all the decisions and be in charge, well, we'll, we'll lose the house. If, if, if she won't submit to me, then I'm just gonna have to show her who's boss. And these are the opposite of what God said. But when the woman submits and when the husband loves, this is a beautiful picture. And you need to, if you're in that trend, you need to be the bigger one or the obedient one and stop the trend, reverse it. One of you will have to step out and do this. And I think what you'll see is the other will come along. That's not always the case, but it's good to be obedient.
And it's good to know what God's word has said. It is no accident that the challenge here comes um, after all. I was going to challenge you at the beginning to those of you who have been here for our Ephesians study and all the things that we've highlighted, the things that we've pointed out in Ephesians. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Do you think that's an important lesson for someone to learn before they get into their marriage? That you're going to need to forgive your spouse that many times? Can you remember when Peter was talking to Christ about forgiveness? Do you remember that familiar story? And he thought he was doing pretty well, I think, when he went to Christ and he said, Lord, how many times do I forgive someone for when they've offended me? And Peter had a number in his head. Seven, right? Wasn't that the number? Seven. He's probably thinking, if a guy does the same thing to me seven times and I forgive him, I'm doing pretty good. And if he does it an eighth time, certainly God wants me to not forgive or to straighten him out, whatever it might be. And the Lord tells him what? No, seven is not enough. And then the Lord gets into multiplication there, doesn't he? Seventy times seven. And the idea is not, for those of you who are good at keeping track, and some of you are good at keeping track of how many times you've had to forgive, the idea is not you get to 70 times seven and then you don't have to forgive anymore. The idea is, is that you're going to continue to forgive. You'll forget about it. You'll do it so many times. And the beautiful picture is, is this is how Christ forgives you. And if you have not learned, if you have not learned that yet, then you need to pay more attention to your life and to the scriptures. I find that the closer I grow to Christ, the more I feel like I'm failing him. I feel like I need to do better. I need forgiveness. And this beautiful picture and we already studied that we're going to have to forgive one another. We talked about submitting to one another in uh, Ephesians 5, 21. We talked about all these themes that we see in Ephesians. They've all led up to where we're at right now. And so guys, just very practically, will you let your wife know, not just with your words, but with your actions and with your responses, will you let her know that there is no one else? Will you let her know with the place where your eyes gaze, with how you talk? Let her know there is no one else. Till death do you part. Ladies, would you allow him to do the things that he feels he should do with the family? My wife was talking to a couple, um, actually three unmarried uh, younger ladies not too long ago, and they were talking about you know, the kind of guy they were looking for. And um, I was present for the conversation, and they paid me a compliment. And they said, boy, yeah, boy, Jeremy there, what a nice guy, and we wish there was somebody like that. And I would be horrified if they could reverse 20 years and see what my wife married into. The amount of patience that she had to have when we got married. You see, God puts us together, and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture But as God does that, and when we do two things, one, we're obedient to what he commands, and two, we remember the covenant that we make before God. And we'll talk more about those two things next week. When we look at those two things, God blesses his plan. This takes into consideration the basic needs for the husband and for the wife. Isn't God smart? God's way is right. All right, 
Um, ladies, you get your opportunity here to look at the scriptures this week. Submit to your own husbands. This is not a cultural reference. This is not something that goes away with time. Instead, it is a spiritual command. If you would go, go ahead and turn over to 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, just to your right a little ways before you get to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st Peter chapter 3, and there are multiple parallel sections that we can find. This is one of the best, and I wanted to go here for a specific reason because there are going to be a lot of wives that will hear this teaching and they will automatically say, you don't know what kind of a person my husband is. I'm not going to submit to him. That's not what God would want for me. His leadership is given by God of the husband and wife, and she is to recognize that in humble submission and allow herself to come underneath his leadership. Now, is this easy to do? I want to suggest to you that it was easy for a time up until sin came into the world. And then once sin entered the world, this got a whole lot harder. And then also, the devil understands the beauty Don't miss this. The the devil understands the beauty of a marriage where the husband is playing his role and the wife is playing her role and they are partners and the devil knows that and so the the devil will attack. He will take God's plan. There is an attack against this. The day that we live in, to use a contemporary illustration, this Me Too movement that's going on and you cannot escape this. It started in Hollywood and it moved to the the news industry and individuals that have abused leverage. Individuals that were leaders or could hire, could fire, could uh, have some kind of leverage and they would abuse that. And we see that and we are disgusted by the things that happen and the women that have been abused. This led to this Me Too movement. And yet, we see that when we have an opportunity for leverage, when a man has an opportunity for leverage, unfortunately, he will take that to an extreme. He will take it to a place that God did not intend it. And if you, woman, have a husband who is a trial to you, either because he is unsaved or because he's not living according to God's word, he fails to fulfill all your expectations your hopes, what you thought you were getting into when you got married. Maybe it's fair to say this, you chafe under his authority. I want you to listen to this statement. This is all the more reason for you to submit to his authority. This is all the more reason for you to demonstrate meekness and purity as his wife. It does not mean that you're, going to, you, that you're not going to give your opinion, but instead it means that very deep down, something that God has done within you, there is a gentleness and there is a quietness. Look at verses one and two of First Peter three. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct that word likewise that we find there refers back to chapter 2 and verse 13 he refers back to the authority of government and if you fast forward to verse number 19 of chapter 2 it says it is a gracious thing when mindful of god one endures sorrow 
while suffering unjustly. And I'm sorry if that paints a picture of your marriage, suffering unjustly. But it says that we have an example. In verse 21, it gives who that example is. The example of the one that suffered unjustly over those that were temporary rulers over him, who was the one that ultimately submitted to those that he shouldn't have had to? But he's our example. It is Christ. Jesus Christ is our example. And some might be thinking this is painting a dark picture of submission. Ladies who have not been married, don't, don't get nervous about this. It's hard. It's difficult. When God commands us to do something, it's not always simple, but it is always best. This is God's plan. When couples face this command in Scripture and when a man constantly fails at being worthy of being submitted to, 1 Peter 3.1 tells women that they, some of those will be won by the conduct of their wives. And I think there's, there's leeway here. This can mean either an unbelieving husband or else a husband who is disobedient to the Scripture. And there are some limits to this. You are not to do something, if your husband tells you to do something that God has forbidden, you're not to do that. And if your husband tells you to not do something that God tells you to do. I heard uh, quite some time back an easy way to uh, remember these three A's that will come up sometimes that you're going to approach this maybe in a different way. Adultery and addiction and abuse. When those are going on, you need to understand that you need to get some serious help. And you might need help even if those things are not involved. But what I want to encourage you wives with is God has given this command and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God has given. It is. And if you put that on a hat today and walk around, I submit to my husband, holy smokes, can you imagine the responses that you would get? But I want to encourage you, even if you chafe and even if it's difficult, the investment over time will pay off, if for nothing else, because you're being obedient to God. I had a friend years ago um, whose name was Helen. Helen was a faithful woman at the church that I grew up at, and she um, was a wonderful part of the community, and she had wonderful connections with the other ladies in the church. She didn't have connections with other couples in the church per se because Helen's husband didn't go to church. And she prayed for him. And she was faithful. And she was quiet. And she was a perfect model of what 1 Peter 3 here says. And after about 20 years of her husband not going to church and not liking her kind of ruining Sunday mornings for them, he finally went to church. And he finally accepted Christ as his Savior. Her husband's name was Gary. Gary was the one that tapped me on the shoulder when I was, I think, about 19 years old and said, hey, what are you doing on Sunday afternoons? And I wasn't doing anything on Sunday afternoons. And he said, why don't we have a Bible study together? And Gary poured into me. And if you would have talked to somebody 10 years prior to that and said, Gary Keener is going to be investing in somebody and discipling somebody, and loving on him, and showing him what a godly husband is supposed to be, people would have said, no way, not Gary. But this woman was faithful. She was submissive. And when a godly woman trusts God in this way, we see how God views her. Chapter three and verse number four. Would you look at that with me, First Peter? 
How is this woman looked at by God? Even if she's not feeling the wonderful, wonderful feeling like she wants to. Verse four says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. And so if nothing else I've had to say today is sticking with some of you ladies, would you jump on that? What can you do to make yourself precious in the eyes of God? You can do this. You can be obedient. Precious in the sight of our God. All right. What can you do? Well, first of all, wives, and I'm gonna give an application for both, decide that you will not go to a plan B. You need to make a decision that you're not going to go to a plan B. Now, I'm not saying it's gonna be simple. In fact, every one of us is different. So of all the people that are listening to this message today, every one of us is built differently. So we can't just cookie cutter. We do see God's command, but we have to figure that out for ourselves and how it's going to work while being obedient to the scriptures. And then as different as everybody is, we take another person, a spouse, and how they are different, and then we put these two together. And so maybe the exact way that it works for me and my spouse isn't the way it's going to work for you and your spouse. So you're gonna have to get creative. By the way, we have already learned in Ephesians chapter five that we need to not be drunk with wine but be led by who? The Spirit. If you wanna have success in this, you're going to jump in and say as a husband, I'm gonna love my wife no matter what. My wife will feel the security that I will never leave her no matter what. Guys, she needs to feel that. She needs to hear you say that. She needs to, when her worst is coming out, and in marriages the worst comes out, when the worst comes out, she needs to have that security that you will never leave her till death do us part. Wives, do not develop a plan B. Don't just say, well, I can't trust this guy. Do your best to submit. Figure this out. The two of you, as individual as you are, that's going to mean that you forgive your husband and not just that you forgive him 490 times. You forgive your husband as Christ continues to forgive you. And it also means that you trust God. You're moving forward with this. You trust God and his word. All right, husbands, what can you do? Love your wives and decide that you will not have a plan B. I know how guys are built. I know you can go to your job and get incredible fulfillment. Maybe even get some compliments and kudos for how great a job you did. And oh, the temptation to spend your time and effort there because they respect you. They give you what's due. And your wife doesn't. Listen, guys, do not develop a plan B. You have to figure this out. What is this going to mean? It's going to mean if you're already active in some kind of an alternative plan, you need to change it. You need to stop. You need to be the bigger one, if you will. It's going to mean that you're going to forgive your husband, or forgive your wife, I should say, in the same manner that Christ forgave you. Forgive your wife as many times as Christ forgives you. And it means that you trust God and his word. That's not easy. 
But let me, just, let me just ruin it for some of you. Because some people get into the scriptures and you're going to say, okay, let me find out what it really means. Because it can't really mean that I do that. Come on. Does God really expect me to do that? Is that what he really thinks is going to make for a good marriage? Hey, don't take my word for it. Jump in. Look at everything that's out there. Look at all the um, complimentary texts, everything that's there. This is God's plan for marriage and how beautiful it is. You see, this is a building process. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul continues to tell about how much God the Father loves us and God the Son loves us and how the Holy Spirit is involved in our life in every day. And you're going to need to know that when you approach your marriage. And I don't have a whole lot of good counsel for those who are outside the body of Christ today. There is this wonderful, beautiful picture of those wives that obey. And at a minimum, at a min- and it's, it's pretty good minimum, at a minimum, you are pre- beautiful and precious in the sight of God. Well, that's pretty good. Some of you might say, I've wondered what I can do for God. And you can do that. And as you look towards the future, do not give up on God's plan. Do not develop a plan B, but understand that God wants joy and happiness for you. And I understand that for just about everybody that's paying attention today, you probably have at least a dozen stories that you could tell, right? You could interject this. You could put the pause button here. You could talk about past hurt. You could talk about your childhood. Let me encourage you that we have a God whose grace is sufficient for you to do, do what he wants you to do, to do what he's commanded. How beautiful a picture. How wonderful that God doesn't leave us just to go and go down to the bookstore and find the latest book on it or find the newest blog that is on marriage. But God, for years, and by the way, can I remind us of this? There's nothing new under the sun. Well, on the day we live in, they, surely God didn't, he didn't understand this was gonna be going on and attacking marriage. God knew exactly how women are. God knew exactly how men are. And this was the plan that they needed 4,000 years ago. And this is the plan that you need today. It will take trust. It will take forgiveness. It will take walking by faith and not by sight. And praise God, you don't have to do it alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is good to know that you are the one that made marriage. How sweet to know that marriage is one of the, marriage is one of the few things that you made before sin came into the world. I praise you for that. I praise you that marriage is something that you have given us and I would ask God that you would allow each one here to take in your word. These difficult words these words that seem outdated to so many and ones that people would strive to maybe give a different definition to. God, we would ask you to make your word clear in our hearts and that you would convict your children to obey you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron to play through a stanza on the piano. As he plays through two things, if you're a husband here today and you've fallen short loving your wife, Talk to God about it. 
And then in the next hour or so, talk to your wife about it. If you're a wife here today and you've got a plan B, you've figured out how to make it work besides submitting, talk to God about it. And then talk to your husband about it in the next hour or so. If you're here today and you don't have Christ in your life, you don't have Christ in your relationship, all I can say is that you're taking a big, big gamble trying to get through marriage without Christ at the center. I would invite you to accept Christ as your Savior today. Christ died on the cross for the sins of men, and even during this time, you can say, God, will you forgive me and make me yours? Just while the piano plays through, take a moment to pray.